Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. This morning we are continuing in the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And our reading for this morning happens later on Easter Day. So for us that's been a while, but for them, it had only been four days since the Last Supper and only three days since the initial, um, or the, only that morning that the accounts of the resurrection had happened, only three days since the crucifixion. So that's where we are picking up this morning. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Clopias, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And now our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead, as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up 
and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. In the UCC church of my adolescence, we took communion in the pews. So the servers would um, pass communion around in those round silver trays, and the little cubes of bread would come around, and then the wine and the tiny little cups that are fascinating if you are a child. We would all hold our pieces of bread until the cups had been passed, and then we would eat and we would drink them together as a sign of the unity of the body of Christ. The somber meaning of this was broken when Debbie served communion. Debbie would pass those silver platters around like she was hosting a party. Have some bread, she would say. And then she'd go on and she'd say, here, have some wine. And after one Sunday when she told me to take another piece, that one wasn't very big, I fumed in my pew about how Debbie was treating communion like a child's tea party. Even as a teenager, it was clear she had not been paying attention to the pastor. Communion was a memorial meal, a time when we remember how Jesus said goodbye to his friends. And I knew this because I had been paying attention. (laughs) My traditional sensibilities for this somber communion were a good fit for the little church in Suffolk, Virginia that I served right out of seminary. There everything was done graciously and properly. These were old southern people, the kind whose ladies still wore hats to church and the women's groups met in the church parlor. Every year the church hosted high tea for the participants of the junior beauty pageant. And every fall, the men would get together and they would do a big fish fry fundraiser for the upkeep of the parsonage. They also took communion in their pews, using those same types of silver trays that I had grown up with. The first time I presided over communion there, which was the second time I had presided over communion ever, I mixed up the bread and the wine, passing out the wine to everyone first, and then the bread. And then I didn't even realize I had done it. I was on autopilot until I'm standing in line in the greeting line in the back when everybody goes through and they shake your hands. And the first man through was James. And James was about a foot taller than me in his 80s. And he was always stern. But he also always showed up to church events, even for the children, because he believed in the mission of the congregation. He came through and he shook my hand, but then he also gruffly said, you know you mixed them up, right? And I was so puzzled. And he said, the bread and the cup, you did it wrong. And after him came my co-pastor who watched the whole thing and she smiled the way that you do when you are not the one in the hot seat. (laughs) And she said, you know how you can remember the bread comes before the cup because B comes before C in the alphabet. (laughs) So helpful everybody was that morning. Just when I thought I really couldn't take any more helpful advice. Hilda Mason, 
came through the line. Hilda intimidated me so much because she was petite but also stately and she always wore a matching skirt with a jacket and pearls and a hat and a blouse that never got wrinkly in the humidity. And Hilda came through the little goodbye line and she looked me in the eyes and she said, I thought it was lovely to have the wine first. Then the bread came along and it felt like a surprise. And I think we should be surprised at communion more often, don't you? The two men on the road to Emmaus were surprised. We don't know how close they were to that Jesus movement, but they knew that they were close enough to be in that foggy stage of grief. And you all know it, probably. You've experienced it. It's the stage when you have lost someone and the whole world looks different. And the fact that everybody else is going on about their daily business strikes us as weird. Don't they know? Haven't they heard the men say? A great tragedy is playing out right here and nobody was paying attention. Because I've done sabbatical and supply work for denominations ranging from Methodist to Mennonite, I have had all sorts of experiences around the communion table. The Mennonites don't have communion on any regular schedule. Every six or eight months, they will realize it's been a while, and they will decide they should maybe do it sometime soon. The Episcopalians, they do it every single week, kneeling at the rail often while the priest comes around in three layers of vestments and a perfectly white cloth to clean up if you happen to spill a drop. No drops go to waste in the Episcopal Church. I once presided over communion on Easter Sunday alongside an Episcopal priest, and in their Easter exuberance, the altar guild had filled the chalice to the very brim. And so after we served communion to the congregation, the priest looked at me and he said, you're going to have to help me finish this wine. (laughs) And both of us, I'm not kidding, went lightheaded standing there at the altar, drinking all the sanctified wine that we could handle. So I wondered then, as I sometimes wonder now, if that's what Jesus meant when he told us to remember him this way. Did he ever suspect that we would argue over how to dispose of unused wine and bread? That we would pick fights about who should serve communion and what it meant? I wonder if he knew that we would write pages and pages of doctrine trying to figure out exactly when in our service the bread becomes the body. Or that we would ponder whether it was okay to serve grape juice instead of wine and whether children should be allowed at the table. I don't know, but I hope so. I hope that Jesus knew that we would take this poignant, prophetic gesture of his and then completely miss the point. And then that knowing that he promised to be there anyway, 
Because that's what it really means to say that Jesus is found in the mess and the mundane of life. There is nothing too simple or too boring or even too full of itself for Jesus. Someone recently told me that the proper response to Jesus is risen isn't just he is risen indeed, like we say on Easter Sunday, but he's risen indeed and he is loose in the world. It's worth noting again that Cleopas and his friend recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And the eye-catching part here is where they don't recognize him. If you opened your Bible when we were reading, it's towards the middle, but he's walking on the road with them for some time, teaching them, telling them all the prophecies, interpreting all the things that have happened. Teaching, I imagine, with the right words and the scriptures, and they do not recognize him. They recognize him in the relationship in the sharing of a common meal at the end of a long day of travel. And this holds true for us, I think. We can try to explain our faith to people. We can try to explain what communion means or what confirmation means or what it means to be part of a church. And it matters. But it also has to go hand in hand with relationships. Theology, and by that I mean the work that all of us do when we try to understand who God is, theology is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's an attempt to describe what we have experienced. And then some way to wrap our language around it and make sense of it for ourselves and others. It's not meant to limit what God does or where Jesus shows up. I love the part where their eyes were opened. And I love it because they didn't even know their eyes were closed. In fact, it looked like they were in the know on this Jesus thing. They already knew about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And they were out there teaching it to others. But there is always more to discover about God. And sometimes even those of us in the know have our eyes opened in the most unexpected times, the most unexpected ways. Some years ago, I got to know a woman from Ghana who was here in the U.S. for grad school. And from her, I learned that at mealtimes in Ghana, the people don't talk. They focus on eating in silence, and then they linger at the table to visit after the food is finished. I also learned from her that in her tradition, they dance on their way to take communion. Because it is a good and a joyful thing that Jesus is among us. I think about that now and then, and about Debbie, and her role as cheerful communion hostess. And my eyes are opened. Because we should be surprised at communion. And that is true whether it happens at this table in UCC Longmont 
or in our walks through the world. Christ is risen, and he is on the loose. Friends, as you go out to the world, make it your mission to do no more and no less than to have your eyes opened, Hmm. finding Christ wherever he may be for you. And when you go, wherever you go, go knowing that the love of God enfolds you. The peace of Christ fills you. And the community of the Holy Spirit encourages you along the way. Let us say together, Amen. Amen.